Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Sunday, April 23rd, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Now, this will be a limited show. I only have about an hour, but it was very important to me that I got some some content out and some of the things that I wanted to discuss. Uh, just, you know, everyone's got lives going on, but there's just so much going on around the peripheral here, both personally, as well as a lot of important things that you'll see the fruits of very soon, uh, including new equipment we're getting, new new projects we're working on and so on. But you go, you don't see that. And it looks like, you know, the last couple of days I haven't gotten to a show other than some great content we put up. So that being said, it's very important to me that I got something out today just because it's I, you know, I maybe a lot of you tell me I push myself too hard, but I think it's important. Even for myself, if I put these things off even a couple of days, it's some of that content gets lost because of so many new things that come up. It's just an impossible feat to cover all of this, but it's important to me to try. But we're going to talk about a couple important things, but I will only be live for about, by pretty much exactly an hour today. I have to leave. We are be doing a pirate stream episode uh, at about uh, one o'clock today, and then I'll be going to the Jimmy Dore show actually tonight and uh, enjoying that. So there's a lot going on today in general. So let's cut right to the chase and get to it. And um, I'm sure you'll like the name of this new YouTube channel if you're watching us on our pirate streams, which if you don't know about our pirate broadcast on YouTube because we've been censored 50 different times. So we are using individual pirate channels that people let us use. James Corbett started doing that after a while after we had a a podcast about it. And I believe uh, Grand Theft World is also doing it now, too. So I'm honored to be the impetus for this conversation. and I hope more people will do it. Pirate streams or hashtag T-Lab pirate streams. But I hope everybody else will be doing the same thing because YouTube is still seemingly the focus of censorship right now. Uh, It's very, very it's odd how it doesn't get as much attention. I just saw High Impact Flicks actually got censored again. Surprising. I mean, even I mean, even though we know what's happening, the fact that it's still happening to these certain people, which kind of blows my mind. Anyway, the point is we're going to touch on a little bit of uh, interesting. uh, Oh, uh, see, now I'm conflating the shows. We will be getting into some interesting Twitter censorship and Twitter discussion today on the Pirate Stream podcast. Make sure you tune into that same channels, by the way. We'll see you a little bit later today on those topics. But today I wanted to talk about some interesting concerns, primarily around the vaccination conversation. It just, you know, as I titled it today in general, not just the DNA contamination, but the ongoing cover up. It, it, it's it's it just is it, one of the most impossible situations I've ever seen. It just it really does speak to the the ability of whatever we're discussing or outlining here, the authority, the powers that shouldn't be or the powers that wish they were, as uh, as as Bush calls it. But the point being that. It's there. It's obvious. All the data, evidence, peer-reviewed science, everything's in front of us. And all they're holding on to is just trust the dwindling trust of authority and, and some people telling you they're wrong and that the science and so on. But they're not even looking at the science. I don't even know how that's possible if it wasn't for the situation where they have seemingly either the control over our perception of that majority, which I know is happening, which I do want to get into more in general in the future, but also just the control specifically over certain people who still watch those shows who are, you know, and I think that's a dwindling percentage, but it's very clearly there. So let's get into all of this and show you why I'm so concerned in regard to the DNA contamination being found, which we've already talked about in these injections, as well as something that they're caught. There's a new thing called a, well, it's a, not the name they're using, but a genetic barcode, which is being applied in ways that it might not first make sense to the average person. But the more you read through this, it does appear to be something that could be used just as it might sound. Either way, all of this is sprinting forward into this genetic, you know, smart dust technocratic future where who knows if this stuff's already happened. And people hate to hear those kind of things because that's conspiracy theory, Other, even though it's logical questions based on the technological advancements they're clearly capable of and that they've spoken about wanting to accomplish and have lied about in the past. But totally crazy to think it might be happening now. Let's start off today with a quick point to something that... Uh, it's a new thing that I've only seen. We've only done twice so far. Scott has put out, a, this is our second weekly wrap up. I believe he's going to try to do it once a month. And this is meant to be sort of just a wrap, or excuse me, once a week, or, you know, try to, we're all very busy. A wrap up of the daily wrap up shows. And it's, it's a difficult task that he's taken on because truly it's hard to do that on top of the work he's doing on top of the other work on this sub stack and so on more coming your way there in general, but support the sub stack and you support all of the last American vagabond, including rebunked. Now, 
I wanted to share two quick things that I'm not going to get into today. This one's just a meme, but this is just something I thought just kind of, you know, Sal the Agris is putting out some really great memes that kind of just cut to the cut to the quick of the, the point, you know, like right to the the main, like this says, what's wrong, Pat? If you, if you, for this podcast, it's a uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. And it says, just thinking about how the 36 members of Congress who legally own stock in Raytheon and Lockheed Martin are simultaneously in charge of how much the U.S. military budget is allocated to, to, to those companies. <laughs> you know, just a casual response between the SpongeBob. And, you know, the point is, it's so very obvious. All of it, everything is right on the surface. And the only thing that is stopping us, I shouldn't say everything, but enough to see the true picture or even then the, the beginnings of the true picture. If you just look past the two-party politics, the two-party paradigm, it is the most obvious thing in the world that is stopping us from affecting change. And this is exactly that kind of idea. How are we allowing people in Congress who own stock and profit by the use and production of these weapons are also the people largely responsible for doling out your tax dollars to those companies, which then continues them to grow? I mean, it's, it's a hamster wheel of profit. You guess what you get out of that? Nothing. You lose money and you lose freedoms and you lose control, comfort. <laughs> it's just everything that the foreign policy of this country is taking from you or creating that we don't want. One other thing I want to point out that I'm not going to get into deep today, but I just saw this and I really wanted to include this since we've been talking about this topic. I will come back to this when I do probably the next show, if another rehash of the mRNA food discussion, which is very real. It's very real. It's been in pork for a long time. Whether they want you to know that or not, it's easy to prove. And the Cattlemen's Association, at the very least, is claiming that they're putting it in there in contrast to what the government's saying. As we've seen, as we saw in Missouri, where the guy testified saying, I'm doing that. I've done it last time. I did it this time. MRNA shots, not necessarily COVID. That's how they're trying to dismiss it all. But just MRNA in the food. And this is alarming, especially since we are seeing that there is at least the scientific potential for translation. That's concerning as hell. But here is a great discussion from Dr. Peter McCullough, Edible Vaccines, Promises and Challenges, getting into the same things we're talking about, specifically even talking about HB, HB1169, which is the bill that all it wanted to do was label these foods appropriately if it had something in it. And they all shot it down. Why would that even possibly make sense if the truth was about actually information, transparency, and health? <laughs> the truth is that it's about none of those things, and we need to recognize that. On that note, Dr. Peter McCullough put out something very interesting that we've talked about already, in fact. Sequencing of bivalent, specifically important to realize we're talking about bivalent, not some, you know, there's a lot of rehash about, you know, like let's say that somebody fo did a focus study on the original injection. All they're going to do is go, oh, pff, that's old. Those aren't even used anymore. It's not even the same thing, even though they have been being used right up until like a week ago. It's just the way they can kick these off and focus on the new thing or sort of like we'll point out, hey, look, no one's being hurt by this thing. Oh, that's because Omicron. Well, no, it's not. You can prove that they were talking about the same things and so on and so on. But the narrative is how you keep the people going. So in this case, it's important to recognize we're talking about the bivalent. Sequencing of bivalent Moderna and Pfizer mRNA vaccines reveals nanogram to microgram quantities. That's a big difference, by the way. That's concerning. Of expression vector DSDNA per dose. No product inspections under emergency use authorization has been a disaster. And this is how one more example of a litany of examples of how the emergency use authorization, one, is not even remotely close to the concept of approval, and two, allows this kind of willful ignorance to, for them to say, well, it's not required under the EUA. We don't tell everybody that, but we just won't do it because it's not necessary because it's, well, it's, you know, if they play the emergency card, except that's not happening anymore, but we're still using emergency authorization because that makes sense. Well, here's the actual document, and I'll go into the quick part of this since we're making this a quick overlap today. But just to read this really quickly, as I often like to point out, which if he sees this, probably to his, uh, what's that word, chagrin or, you know, to his frustration. The point is that I always make the point that there's a there's a a really ridiculous person out there that has a very close name to to this very important person doing excellent work, Kevin McKernan. So I just want to point out, for those that have watched this show a long time, there's a PhD out there, that at least pretends to be a PhD, who is a really, really ridiculous person that is, bottom line is, that's not the same person. Kevin McKernan is doing outstanding work on this, and I really want you guys to take a moment to read this, if I can get this to stop acting funny when I'm trying to zoom in. There we go. Now, as you can see, him as well as Yvonne Herbert, Herb, yeah, Helbert, 
Liam T. Kane. It says several methods were deployed to assess the nucleic acid composition of four expired virals. And, and, and of course, I bet you this was going to be a point at which they focus on, which is not invalid, but I highly doubt that expiring, which, by the way, they've even just arbitrarily extended that time frame so they could use ones that were technically expired. I'm sure that doesn't change the composition of DNA contamination, just so that's clear. But let's just cut into the chase. You can read this for yourself. I, I don't I think I had this highlighted. Here's the, the crux of the point. This is just the abstract on ResearchGate. As it says, multiple assays support DNA contamination that succeeds, excuse me, that exceeds the European Medicines Agency's 330 nanogram, uh, uh, what was it, nano and micro, it was, uh, yeah, nano microgram requirement and the FDA's 10 nanogram per dose requirement. So they're telling you that they have done this. They've several methods were deployed to assess this composition and they and with four different vials, both Moderna and Pfizer. Find it hard to believe it would accidentally be the same problem with both sides, right? That's just my opinion. But it's saying multiple assays support that contamination. I I just it's it's kind of staggering that this stuff is so on the surface of the conversation. I'm sorry, I'm just looking over at the chat. I'm not sure what what am I upset about? I didn't realize I was upset today. Um, so this the point in all of this is to recognize one that what we're talking about is is a few different things. As you can see here, these data may impact the surveillance of vaccine mRNA in breast milk or plasma in your blood, which we know is happening, which I'm going to show you next. So that overlap is very important to me. This is just one more example of, of how we can one that we already know based on peer reviewed science that this is, in fact, circulating, not just spike or so, but the actual vaccine sequences circulating in your blood up to 28 days after the injection. That's the third study I've, as I, that I have that shows that that is, in fact, entering, circulating, and continuing to make spike protein in your blood. So what, what that's important when we come to the realization, just to include again, that the Red Cross to this day still argues they don't need to label their blood because, well, it does not enter the bloodstream. They're maintaining this at the end of 2022. And I've continued to follow up and tell them, hey, it's wildly irresponsible to not address this peer-reviewed science that, by the way, I posted for them on January 22nd. They still have not responded. Not that they have to, but they've also not changed their policy, which you can see stated right now on their website. So why is that, Red Cross? I really want people to make a point of this, to put this in front of them. Put this in front of your congressmen and women if you think that's going to make a difference. Put it in front of people that can put pressure on them. To not address this peer-reviewed science that is actually one of only of many that shows your stance is not just wrong, but poorly informed and dangerous. We see you. You know that's there. Do the right thing. I don't think they care about it. Whoever's holding this back, if it was even remotely about the right thing, it's more about politics these days. But think about how wild just that we know that this is another example that it's DNA contamination as well. So not just having spike protein, but you're having these other erroneous things that are being added that you don't know about. Pretty concerning. Here was where Jessica Rose made a point about this or actually a follow up on the DNA contamination of these injectable products. And she says the take home message, the leftover expression vectors used to manufacture the mRNAs are at contamination levels 100 fold higher, 100 times higher than originally proposed and imply trillions of DNA molecules per dose. Trillions per dose and then times that by four doses. <laughs> I mean, just think about how trillions you don't need to times it by four but you know maybe they were just trying to make sure you got it in your body this has implications for integration into our genome right so not just about the concept of having dna contamination in your body as well as the spike protein and the risks therein, or translating that to other people with blood transfusions but actually the implications for integrating this into your genome as she continues and read this please for yourself because a lot to go over, and this is just, and we have read this before, but I'm just going over the crux of it here. So the first thing everyone should understand is that the original source of contamination is likely at in, in the lab transcription step of production of mRNA, whereby residual plasmid DNA might be left behind in the Pfizer or Moderna mRNAs. Kevin explains this well in his Substack post. You can read right here. Here's a screenshot from his article to illustrate where and how the DNA might get left behind in the manufacturing process. Remember, this is mod RNA. This is not some organic thing plucked out and reused. They are making this, and this is the point. 
What's really alarming here is that this method can also lead to truncated mRNA synthesis, which we've also talked about. As I've written about extensively, she says, and also presented recently at a conference. Last point. She says the whole takeaway message here is why why were these basic essays procedures not done or carried out prior to injecting billions of people? Well, of course, it's emergency authorized and we have to rush for your safety, which was the illusion that was spun, which actually makes no sense at all. Let's do dangerous things for your safety. But the argument was pushed and over and over. The idea was that we need to do this quickly because everyone's dying, even though we now know that was by and large what they were doing to people. But either way, that was the narrative. So they rushed it out. They said, we can't, we don't have time to test for these things. They, or at the, at the core of it, if somebody believed the BS they were selling, their argument would be that, well, there's a risk by not doing this test, right? By not doing it, we could miss something. By not doing it, we could hurt somebody. But we believe that the risk you're seeing right now with COVID outweighs the possible risk of not doing this test. Even that's stupid. Even if you agree with that logic, the point is you're making a decision for everybody else based on the idea of something that is in that moment being disputed. There's never been a point at which people weren't going, I disagree with how dangerous this is. Yeah, and now we know it was less than the flu, so they were wrong or lied. Either way, the bottom line is they chose not to do this test. They chose not to test for transmission. Why? My opinion, because they knew that it wouldn't stop transmission because they knew that this was going to be a problem. Now, that could be because of clumsy malfeasance or it could be because of a larger agenda if you don't have the courage to ask that question then you don't want the truth i'm not saying that means it's the truth it could be but you have to have the courage to ask that question and accept the answer no i don't mean in the sense of just blindly take what you're given but the point is that if you have something proven and it challenges your pre-held beliefs or political standing you have to choose to acknowledge the reality even if it's conflicting with what you previously thought now, it says, I think the answer is very clear oh, going forward. It says, or at least instead of you know not doing the testing or at least somewhere along the way should have done it. But they still haven't understand three years into this and they still haven't done that. There's plenty of time now. The emergency is even over. Why don't they do it? Same point. Why? It says, why were my colleagues, she's asking, being threatened for sequencing the crap in the Pfizer and Moderna vials? Because they were and realized these are people that weren't coming out of the gate, which I'm not disputing that there might be some relevance to this discussion and coming out and saying here's what these microscopy the microscopies finding and graphene oxide and metals and all these things being spun which i haven't feel like i've been proven but i'm interested in finding more evidence around it for those by the way that have seen that post that keeps circulating and 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 you might be wondering why people like jessica and other very intelligent experts haven't been leaning into it it's because the document people are using from pfizer's own documentation is about a testing process it is not about the injection that does not then mean that it's not in the injection Anything could be in there and we could be lied to about it. That doesn't mean because of that worry or fear that therefore there is something. I, I, I am 100% on the same page that would be capable of doing it, that it's absolutely something they talked about and wouldn't surprise me at all. But to this date, I don't think we can prove that. And I see plenty of evidence showing that it's disputed at the very least, which leaves me where I tend to be in, the, when, in a disputed conversation, which is that we don't know for sure. And I'll continue to research. I've made it clear that I think graphene oxide has been an obvious point where they've said this is the future of vaccination like 10 seconds before COVID started. So it's not something you should dismiss either way. But remember that that, that document is about how they were te a testing process and they were using the graphene in regard to the test because that's a common use. So just remember that it gets being I, I think that possibly was even presented for the very purpose of getting people to think that it said what it didn't and maybe even to hide the very real possibility that it is in there. There's something we have to think about, but. The overall point, they were threatened for sequencing this. And they did anyway, and they did find a lot of concerning things like this. But they were threatened for it. I think the answer is very clear, she said. They were afraid of what will be found. Not just as per the sequences themselves. Fear and cleavage. Remember, we talked about this in the beginning. HIV and cutting sites, like the potential evidence of lab creation or alteration. But as per contamination arising in the production of the mRNA used in every shot. So you could maybe it's both, in fact. I've always said this. I mean, this is one of the points about the isolation conversation. I will always argue, because it's the truth, that I don't see any evidence this has been truly isolated or purified by the definition, by Koch's postulates. It hasn't happened. People have claimed that, but when you dig into it, it's not hard to prove that they didn't meet those the, the metrics. And then every time it gets pushed to the point, people just go, oh, well, uh, Koch's postulates is archaic. And Okay, well, don't, then fine. Then don't, don't argue it's been met. Just argue that the metrics are outdated. 
it hasn't been met. So therefore, show me where it has been met by some other definition. That is the gold standard. The point, though, is that it's not doesn't mean that they didn't do it. All we know is that I don't see evidence that it has happened. It may have happened and they hid that from us because of that point. Maybe it's because they have evidence that it's created and they don't want us to see that. Or maybe it's not real at all. Those are all possible. But the interesting part about it is that the contamination would be arguably clumsy, an accident or lack of concern, whereas the other side would suggest foreknowledge. So that's kind of the game right there, but it could very well be both. Here is the conversation with Jessica Rose, Blockgate and the unknown risks of truncated spike proteins. That's exactly where this all goes. And interestingly enough, take this one step further, we do now have a document that's telling you yet again exactly what we have always been saying. Not because I've done the science in my room, but because I've seen the peer-reviewed science. And as at the at current moment, the science leans in very one clear direction. All of that could be wrong, too. They could all be lying. That's always possible. But all we have in front of us is evidence to come to a conclusion to. So what's interesting to me is even if it is, if you believe that, the bottom line is that this is still contradicting what they've been saying the whole time. That's what I talk about arguing from within their narrative. So right there is a point to use, even if you think this is all a scam, which very well could be, to reach those other people over there that are lost in, mired in the original narrative. To be like, didn't they tell you that this wasn't dangerous? That they've been lying about that the whole time? Even though people like us have been like, here's the Salk Institute and plenty of others who've been saying since 2021 that the spike protein proving that alone the spike protein can cause disease, which is a huge statement. Huge statement. Because that means that it can cause disease, it can cause symptoms, that can spread those to symptoms and, or disease, and people can catch it and cause their own symptoms and carry on and carry on. Now, is that SARS-CoV-2? Well, it can't be. It's just one part of it. So it doesn't really make sense, right? I mean, it's something different. Could that be the self-spreading vaccine concept? It could be a number of things because nobody really, this just got dismissed by the corporate conversation. So now they're saying, well, the spike protein is now considered extremely toxic. What do you mean now considered? (laughs) Well, did they just suddenly decide to engage with the scientific research? A conclusion was reached in a paper after a paper. It says evidence to support this has also been found. This is the article being written here, April 20th, 2023. A growing number of scientists. So my question is, why now is it allowed for this person to focus on what's been there for years? Or did they just stumble into it? Certainly possible, I guess. I I, Personally, I think this is either about trying to keep us focused on the idea that this is there when maybe it's not. It's a valid point to make. I'm leaning more towards the idea that this is just kind of normalizing the conversation to get us to feel like this is stopping so they can reinitiate something new. Marburg, climate change, who knows what's happening else? Call me a conspiracy theorist. It seems pretty clear that these things are executed to a large degree. So my point is, though, we've known this. Assuming this is the reality and that's a present concept. Well, the point is we've known this. So why now? Right. What, what's the difference? What would what would be the benefit of coming out and saying, well, the spike protein's problematic? Well, I think that it's a shift here. One thing they're trying to do is make it be trying to make it seem like, well, it's not really that everything, all the injections are dangerous, just like all these games we've seen from the beginning that we called out in the first couple of weeks or months. Well, how much you want to bet they're going to hang this around AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson and pretend like, no, it was only those ones that caused the problem. And it wasn't the mRNA ones because it's really a large part about the mRNA platform and the success of that. Even though the spike protein and that which is involved in all of these injections are equally dangerous for everybody. That'd be my opinion. But so by pointing at this and going, but, but it's the ones that focus on that alone in the old adenovirus versions or the old, you know, the classic styles. And we've told you that from the beginning. And yes, we are seeing that right now. All of a sudden, they admit, finally, in the UK, this person died from AstraZeneca. It's a little bit surprise, surprise. Who was, is anybody questioning that? I mean, the evidence was unbelievably obvious. So I wonder what this is really about. And there's also a shift in regard to something we pointed out early on, where people are now seeming to suggest that the injection in fact, can cause psychosis, which probably wouldn't surprise me at all. But don't forget, we had documentation from the UK that they they passed a bill in 2020, I believe, uh, discussing the possible implications of people who took these injections and then the psychological side effects, like undermining whether they're fit for office. Maybe Maybe we missed the entire boat and it was all about something very different. We should ask those questions. Either way, I think that's pretty interesting. So this I don't feel comfortable about these things suddenly going, guess what? We've known forever, but we're pretending is brand new because we have enough evidence. We don't need them to pat us on the head and say, here's 5% of what you've been saying. Is that enough? (laughs) No, it's not. 
because what's really happening is far more nefarious, far more obvious. Dr. Claire Craig points out the head of the largest German clinic, the Berlin uh, Chariot University Hospital admits or chariot, however you want to read it, quote, we didn't know how it worked. Shouldn't be surprised by that. We've been telling you that the whole time. We don't know that to this day, says the lead, the head of the largest German clinic. And when asked to what extent side effects were known, he said, unfortunately, we don't know that either. Think about how crazy that is to say that in 2023. Where were you before? Like, I feel like that's not even acceptable right now. Did you only just figure this out? And if so, why? Otherwise, why are you only speaking up now? And I, I shouldn't, we shouldn't focus on him as much as that's a valid thing to say. Just ask yourself how crazy it is and how it's possible to be this suppressed this long when the evidence, when you have people at this point now going, yeah, we never knew. We never knew any of it. And by the way, the interesting part about that is we also do have the FDA, as we've shown many times, making these statements when really pushed to it. And this is the first one, that they don't really know the correlative of protection. So we argue that we see a response. And we argue that response translates to protection. We don't know to what degree, which means they don't know that that's the case. And then can you repeat the, the second question? I mean, obviously you have a lot of data now. What is your correlative protection is? Everybody's measuring antibodies. They're probably relevant, but as we know... That's a long question. We need a quick answer. <laughs> I would say there is no established correlate of protection. Thank you. That was a quick answer, Dr. Fink. Crazy. Now, I think I might have even gotten rid of the other one, but they both cut to the same point. Oh, it's right here. How should we think of micrograms in terms of the amount of spike protein that's produced by the cells? Can you kind of clarify that? Obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. Obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. I don't even know how that, that that's not fake, by the way, which blows me away. That I've, show, I've shown the row clip alongside that clip. That was just the opening I've used before. But so we have that. That was on the record. We've shown the real video and people are so brainwashed that they'll see it and go, that can't be real. It must be altered. <laughs> well, then do your due diligence if you're so quick to dismiss it. It's real. They literally on the record said, we don't understand how this works. <laughs> and yet here we are. And now here is a German uh, the the head of the largest German clinic in Germany saying, well, we don't know. We never knew. We don't even know how the side effects work. Think about how crazy that is. Now, here is a video, which I'm not going to play. You can watch it for yourself. The point is, in Australia, there's been a 370% increase in young people being diagnosed with bowel cancer. Now, yeah, you could argue that it could be some other thing. Certainly could be. And, and of course, you could argue that even if the injection's causing this, that, that you can't, all of them, some of them could be something else, sure. But that's the best you got. At the very least, you have to go, what's the difference here? You can't blame COVID because all of the evidence we now have shows you that this is completely, not only not dangerous, but barely affecting most people on top of that, if it's even really there, that we don't have the scientific discussion or the or the evidence to suggest that it's causing an explosion of bowel cancer. However, we have numerous peer-reviewed studies that very clearly find the mRNA injection specifically cause all sorts of things that lead to cancer. But yeah, but let's just continue to dismiss it and just pretend like we say in the video, we're baffled. We're so confused. It must be some anomaly. No, we know what's going on to some degree. I argue the majority is these genetic altering, manipulative, dangerous, immune suppressing injections. Shocking, I know. Here is Professor Norman Fenton. Something very strange is going on. Here are all the relevant tables, relevant tables from the NHS. Remember, I stopped doing this a while ago just because I think it, I think the, the point has been clear. Their own data still to this day makes it very clear that this is a problem and they just don't talk about it. And people like Norman Fenton continue to point it out. But we were doing this back in 2021. Look at the UK's data. Look at Scotland's data. Look at Ontario's data. Look at New South Wales. Every single one of them show you that they are predominantly the ones spreading it, catching it, and getting hurt. But who cares? That's, we'll just censor all of that and pretend like you misunderstood it. He says that they, this is their response for freedom of information. He says, while there's been a worrying drop in the number of live births, just like in Scotland, and an increase in neonatal deaths, a doubling, a doubling of miscarriages in 2022... He said, it doesn't seem possible. Might it be a reporting error? I'm sure he, he, the point is, you know his work. He's being facetious. The reality is, and you can look at the full report here, thanks to David, uh, Dr. David Cartland. How do you explain that? 
the the best they have is well people didn't get to you know treatment in time because of lockdown oh you mean a year ago yeah so no we're talking about all the way through 2022 and it's looking the same way right now the data up to 2023 as best you got is looking the same scotland is overwhelmed they just pretend like we can't be the injection so we're baffled but you can prove the overlap i don't even i mean really i, I don't even need to double do, going for the 45th time they don't have data on whether pregnancy the injections are safe during pregnancy but they put them on all of them anyway in fact they pressure all of them that that's one point alone that makes this make sense but you could go a thousand different directions and at the very least when you go don't know wouldn't you say that maybe we should ask if it's the injection no no fake news that's dangerous that's the mindset Well, here's Andrew Bridgeton pointing out a smoking gun stat from the West Midlands Ambulance Service. Now, note how these are all over the world. Weirdly, the same kind of odd and baffling correlation to the injection that we don't want to look at in multiple different categories in different countries simultaneously, because that that makes sense. The West Midlands Ambulance Service and the ambulance thing we've seen a lot in the UK and everywhere else. What else could have caused the huge increase in under 30s having heart problems, needing an ambulance after April 2021? What possibly happened in the spring of 2021 to cause this? Now, remember, the argument that it's COVID doesn't stand, one, because the evidence has already been made clear that pre-injection, the fatality rate was less than the flu. That's from the leading peer-reviewed science on the topic, as much as they want to cry and dismiss and not look at it. But if it was COVID, under that illusion of a narrative, explain why this wasn't a problem in 2020. Look at the out and, and then explain why it would explode when they got safe and effective injections. The red, the red, as you can see from April forward, is gigantic. I mean, this it almost doubles the number. Think about how crazy that is. Then 2022 is even worse. Look at that. Well, what it really look the way to look at this, in fact, is that it's the same worrying numbers carrying through 2021 into 2022 because the 2021 February, March hadn't happened yet. So the peak in spring of 2021, boom, it starts and it's never stopped. Didn't they promise that would be the opposite based on these safe and effective injections that are not even close to that? They did. Well, here's what we're continuing to see, by the way, and I haven't done a refocus on this. Again, some of these topics I feel like I could keep harping on, which I do periodically, but, you know, like the mass conversation. You saw that I kind of put that down a long time. It's it's just because they keep screaming you're wrong doesn't mean that the evidence hasn't been proven a year ago or more, even before that, right? When we started, same thing here. The collapsing athlete conversation or just people that are suffering heart attacks and myocarditis and blood clots from this stuff is so painfully obvious in any metric you apply to it. And yet they just keep acting like you're so stupid. That's all. That's the only kind of response you get. You stupid tinfoil hat conspiracy. That's the real stupid person, the person that's willing to even make that argument, whether or not they're knowledgeable or educated. That's a really lowbrow, stupid response, even if you think somebody's making something up. Two deaths in a young, healthy men, two deaths in young, healthy men with no apparent cause outside possibly taking COVID injections. See, the point is he's doing this on purpose because that's the right way to frame it. If you don't know, it's simply a possibility. That's all we're saying. Now, to frame that as conspiracy theory is just it's irresponsible, dangerous. And of course, they have a right to do it because it's free speech. But what they're doing is actively framing something that's the most objective, scientific method kind of mentality and and then pushing a one-sided, all-encompassing, everyone's wrong with this narrative and act like that's common sense. It's wild. I mean, again, even if he's wrong, to do that is just stupid. But he's saying we need to brand, uh, we need brand dose one, two, three, four, and autopsies for myocarditis, blood clots, and brain hemorrhage. And he's pointing to this article, which we can see XL, XFL has two deaths occur within weeks of each other in Texas. So this is XFL, this is the new, uh, you know, non NFL. What's I forget what the X stands for? Extreme, I forget. The bottom line is that this is the you know kind of adjacent NFL program. These are young, healthy, in most cases, athletes, high level, same thing. No, no, cordio or cordio uh, cortis, or I forget now, I forget the term, claims here, right? Because they don't think enough people are paying attention. So they just don't care. Well, Tim Noax, Noax I believe, who I'm going to focus on again, by the way. Oops, I wanted to uh, follow up with this. I only just saw this yesterday. He says, my point was simply that I studied sudden death in athletes in the 70s and 80s. He did. It's right here. This is an important read that I'm going to go through and maybe pick some parts out. Here's what he says. 
we were so they were so extremely rare that we wrote each one up as a case report. Think about that. Now, this is somebody who knows who's written about it. And yet you get these bleeding, ridiculous people on Twitter that will scream that ah, it's the same. And we're just focusing on. No, no, you're wrong. And the evidence is clear. You just like the narrative different. He says, yet on this feed, I see almost daily reports of ex- unexplained sudden deaths. Now, not saying we know that it's the injection, but what then is going wrong? That's all we've been saying. And the crux of the ultimate argument is that it's not even really happening, despite what we can see. That shows you how dishonest this is. And he's right. Something has definitely changed. Now, you can look through this, the thread of people posting stuff in general, but here we are. He's engaging on it. I'm going to come back to this in a future show. But think about how sad it is that we can be confronted with so much obvious reality. And it just doesn't. And you, you get this instead. This is actually from Bayer Aspirin. Now, you might argue that Bayer has been, interestingly enough, been in an unapproved use, but allowed to tell people to take it for heart attack, for suppression, even though that's never been an approved use. Of course, it matters. It only matters when they want it to. The bottom line, this is them coming out as Bayer saying heart attack can, it's a heart attack risk can more than double when your home team plays. So it's your fault, right? You're getting too worked up about sports. Weirdly timed, isn't it? Right. I just, it's just so disgusting to put this out. I mean, at a time when like, what's the, why, why would you just come out and say, Hey, take our aspirin for sport for, for possible support attack suppression. And here's why it works. Cause that would be a real advertisement. This is propaganda. Don't, you know, why would you need to overlap it with some arbitrary argument? That, like, I, I bet you could look up the study behind this and it probably would be so flimsy and observational that it wouldn't even matter. But of course, they're happy to use it to be like, you're the one causing heart attacks because you're a crazy American, <laughs> whatever they're trying to push. I just think that's ridiculous, man. Now, on top of all of it, there, this is still happening. I mean, even saying that out loud seems kind of stupid because of how much all of this seems to still be happening, despite all the evidence. But this is just so, this is mean. This is spiteful. Unvaccinated, terminally ill Alberta woman has been denied her transplant despite having far better proof of her natural immunity. So in, again, within their narrative, even their narrative now, the evidence that they, despite, despite what the corporate media says, the scientific evidence from the NIH, from the WHO, from Nature, from Science Direct, from every single one of them tells you that natural immunity is lasting, durable, and robust. T-cell, memory B, antibodies, and continues to make them for variants of concern. That one seems like something people would push back on, so I'll include this right here. Just This is the one I always point at where the conclusion simply finds they demonstrate that people that got sick and recovered from the original strain still continue to make antibodies to variants of concern with high potency. That's not the same as acting like they'll push it and say, no, it's less effective and the injection makes it better. No. In fact, the injection after natural immunity increases your risk for antibody dependent enhancement and all the rest of the conversations. This is telling you if you got sick in the beginning, you don't need anything, (laughs) but they just don't care. They just push back on it. And the point is that she has a better situation and they're denying her a transplant because she wouldn't take the thing that would argue. I mean, I don't, I take that back. The thing that would almost in almost to a near certainty increase her risk of everything she's going through. Do you know what, what happens when you would destroy or deregulate, dysregulate your immune system right before going through surgery, you get infections, you die, but who cares though? Right? Because that's the, that's the narrative we're supposed to spin. I forgot to look which one it was. I want to see what the transplant was for. Because if it's for the heart, I mean, my God, that's just the stupidest thing I could possibly imagine. This is written all funny in here. I wonder why. Uh, let's see. I'll come back to it. But the point was, nonetheless, somebody who... It's strange. It's not written, isn't it? Am I missing it? Well, in any case. Oh, wait. Oregon right there. There is no principled medical or scientific reason to continue to deny her a life-saving organ transplant. Yeah, anybody honest would agree with that, especially since they have natural immunity. Well, in any case, I also wanted to point out that this is something to consider going forward, that we have very obvious evidence from two different studies now, prevalence and characteristics associated with post-COVID condition among non-hospitalized adolescents and young adults. The point 
the persistent symptoms and disabilities that characterize what they call long COVID are associated with factors other than SARS-CoV-2 infection, including psychological factors like psychosomatic beliefs or social pressure is one of the other things they point at. Now we have two of them. Here's the other one. As it says very clearly, the result of this huge cross-sectional analysis of large population-based French cohorts suggests physical symptoms persisting up to 12 months after may be more associated with the belief in having experienced COVID as opposed to actually being infected. So I guess how many peer-reviewed studies these days does it take to challenge the narrative? All you need is some flimsy observation. All you need really is just some faux expert to stand up and go, yes, that's caused because this, and everybody toes the line. But we can have massive peer-reviewed studies on the JAMA network, both on the JAMA network, in fact, and and they just don't even talk about it. Another peer-reviewed study finds long COVID is not what you're being told. And that's how they're keeping this narrative going forward on top of what we said before. They're framing vaccine side effects as long COVID. That's what's happening in one part. Now, let's finish with a very concerning reality that is happening as, I mean, the whole point of using these topics together is to understand that the whole push to all of this is not just about the vaccine passport, digital ID. It's huge. It's largely about that. But it's also about normalizing this direction for for genetic manipulation, for the direction of medicine that they are pushing everybody in, despite it, obviously, I mean, it's the same as them pushing you in the direction of GMO foods that have failed, even though they're still pushing it. Because it wasn't about succeeding, it was about using you to test what they're trying to accomplish. And I guess we can assume that's food security. Probably not, though. It doesn't seem to be the case. So here we have an example of something that really is concerning to me. Genetically encoded barcodes for correlative volume electron microscopy. Now this, on the surface, is more about doing this internally in ways that can be used to identify certain things for treatment. But I feel like there's an interesting overlap to this that is really concerning to me. And you tell me what you think about this. As always, a lot of these things are just about asking questions that I think our people are afraid to ask and posing certain possibilities, which of course... Are, we are, it's, it's not irresponsible to do that. Now it says, by installing a variable number of fixation-stable metal-interacting moieties in the lumen of encapsulin nanocompartments of different sizes, we developed a suite of spherical, symmetric, and con- uh, concentric barcodes, also called EM capsulins, that are readable by standard EM techniques. So that last part is interesting. So uh, you can read these by standard electron microscopy techniques. So is there a way, you guys tell me, that that could be applied outside of being inside of a lab? Just as an interesting po- thought, you know, question. Or what, or what would you think this would be more so about if there was some kind of an angle to this? It's hard not to think that way today with what's already been shown. Well, here's a thought that I had. And just one, I just want to highlight this. This is from the study... From October 1st, 2020, advances in encapsulin nanocompartment biology and engineering. Just wanted to explain what this was, <clears throat> at least for, for a little bit better, more thorough. Did I pass it? Yes. Here. Multiple iron sequestering. That's important, in my opinion, for the point I'm making. Iron sequestering encapsulins as multiplexed electron microscopy gene reporters, or known as EM capsulins. Right. So what we're talking about is EM capsulins are iron sequestering encapsulins, which just to quickly that ultimately breaks down to a the encapsulins are a family of bacterial proteins that serve as the main structural components for encapsulin nanocompartments. Bacterial proteins. There's a lot of this weird, you know, using viruses as vectors and stuff. It's very concerning to me where this goes and and whether there's more going on around this that that we don't know about, you know, with, with potentially nano compartments here april 18th genetically encoded nano barcodes it says how do the nerve cells in our brain communicate with each other what processes take place when t-cells render cancer cells harmless so it's more about you you know using this to investigate how the processes work processes work well, what's interesting by the way that it also shows you they don't really understand fully like the guy was saying how these truly work what they do is do something it causes a response and they go there you go in some cases, like we're dealing with here. Well, they don't have a correlation for protection, but they see something and they argue that keeps you protected. It doesn't. We've known, we, have, we can prove that today. But it says details of the mechanisms at the cellular level remain hidden from view. 
Now, special reporter proteins developed by a research team led by the Technical University of Munich may help unveil these mechanisms. Now, here's a question. Maybe this was already done. Maybe this was a large, one of the many multifaceted reasons for forcefully injecting a lot of people. This could have been in there. I'm, this is just a complete the possibility. No evidence to suggest it was already used. But thinking about this in a sense where if we've already known things like the moral enhancement and that argue it should be compulsory, but also, uh, what's the word they use? Now I'm just blanking on it. Uh, what it's a uh, uh, covert, of course. I can't the most obvious word, but the point that I've said many times, they believe that if they were going to do something like this, well, they should do it without you knowing because you wouldn't understand. It's so obvious on the surface. So <clears throat> the point being that if they were going to do something like this, it could have been for the purpose of mapping this out to fully understand how these processes work to better suit their agenda, their MRA platform. I don't know. Why they they know that people are resistant to this, and that's why they put out studies like this to say, well, you know, you don't understand, you're not smart enough, and so we need to do this in a way that is best for everybody. They've already pushed that narrative every other angle: climate change, COVID nineteen. So it makes sense. Westmeyer and his colleagues thus have thus developed a so-called genetic reporter system that does the reconnaissance work within the cells for them. The gene reporters are protein capsules, just large enough to be resolved by an electron microscope. Now, proteins, one of these proteins could be things like the spike protein, or more specifically, something like a ferritin protein concept that is the iron overlap that I want to get to. But that's why I thought this was interesting. So in capsule and nanocompartments, which is the core of what we're talking about here, it says in capsule and nanocompartments or in capsule and protein cages are spherical, bacterial, organelle-like compartments roughly 25 to 30 nanometers in diameter, their function depends on the proteins loaded into the nano compartment. That's interesting. So couldn't you argue this could be loaded up with spike proteins and given to people when they don't know it? Could you argue this could be used in a different way to test and how things apply and how it works in certain bodies? Yes, all of that's possible. But it says peri, uh, uh, peroxid, uh, peroxid, let me see. Oops, not that one. I want to just look up the, oh, that might have it actually, the pronunciation. Why don't they have it on these? Let's do this. I've defined. I can't waste time. I'm limited here. Peroxidase. Peroxidase. So peroxidase or proteins similar to ferritins are two most common types of cargo proteins. Okay. So peroxidase, which uh, we can look at really quickly again large group of enzymes which play a role in various biological processes you know, pretty pretty benign but <clears throat> the point is that they're similar to the, the or proteins similar to ferritins so that just raised a thought for me so either way we're talking about this i don't i feel very uncomfortable with the people that we literally are catching in real time trying to secretly do all sorts of things sprinting into a direction that is so far past what the average person understands i mean so too are these ones but people have worked rapidly to understand what's going on so we're talking about these nano compartments with, with protein loads inside of them and how this might be used. And ultimately coming back to these very, very small concepts. Now we're talking about the barcode concept, but what else could be done with this under the guise that it's being done to monitor something in your body? Or, you know, there's a lot of ways. So for me, though, it brought to mind the concept of the ferritin uh, particles and how this was already discussed in a previous conversation. In, in regard to specifically using proteins to remotely control brains. This may sound ridiculous to people, but it's not. It's a very real, it's a very on-the-surface conversation, or at least it was for a moment. <clears throat> now, remember, for those in the podcast, this, this is The Guardian. Not that that makes it true, but it's important to think about how this is being framed from March, from March 2016. Genetically engineered magnetoprotein, that's the ferritin proteins, remotely control brain and behavior. It says researchers in the United States have developed a new method for controlling the brain circuits associated with complex animal behaviors. Remember, you're an animal. The humans are one of one of many animals on the planet using genetic engineering to create a magnetized protein that activates specific groups of nerve cells from a distance. Now, obviously, we talked about this in the beginning of all this one for the concerns of what might else be happening, but also that we saw this weird mag magnogenetics overlap and the conversation of the COVID-19 injection, which I don't think was ever truly proven. 
but there's a lot of people claiming that. Now, it says in recent years, researchers have developed a number of methods that enable them to remotely control specified groups of neurons and to probe the workings of neuronal circuits. Consider this with the overlap of this conversation, of the genetic, the the barcode conversation, genetically encoded nanobarcodes. As it says, the most powerful of those is a method called optogenetics, which enables researchers to switch populations of related neurons on or off on a millisecond by millisecond timescale with pulses of laser light. This isn't even the most current. Another recently developed method called chemogenetics uses engineered proteins that are activated by designer drugs and can be targeted to specific specific cell types. Maybe that's the step we're in right now. Optogenetics is invasive, though. Chemogenetic approaches overcome both of these limitations of the past, by typically indu- but typically induce biochemical reactions that take several seconds to activate nerve cells. So just think about how that might be something that's being tested right now. Now, so several earlier studies have shown that nerve cell proteins, which are activated by heat and mechanical pressure, can be genetically engineered, so they become sensitive to radio waves and magnetic fields by attracting them to an iron-storing protein called ferritin or to inorganic paramagnetic particles. It goes on to say that when they introduce this genetic co- construct into human embryonic kidney cells growing in Petri dishes, the cells synthesized the magnetoprotein, the ferritin protein, and inserted it into their membrane. Application of a magnetic field activated the engineered TRPV1 protein. Which we lo- I was looking at this earlier. It's just an overlap in the same realm of this conversation. That's a specific one of these proteins they're using. It says, next, the researchers inserted the magneto DNA sequence into the genome of a virus. Of course they did. Right? This is, this is how they're using all of this stuff right now. It says, they then injected the virus into the brains of mice, targeting the, enthor- uh, the uh, entorhenal cortex. Probably mispronounced that. The bottom line, this is how they're testing this stuff. Now, how is this different than what we were just given? Or for those that were stupid enough to take it. I really do wonder whether all of this was just a genuine experiment to flesh something out, whether that's the the brain concept and the AI concept, or it's something about the mRNA platform or something like this. Or maybe it was all just a priming. You know, you people will, will call all of this wild and dangerous conspiracy theory. The fact that we can't recognize that they're very capable and have done things like this before, that they're now just in a new technological sphere, if you can't realize that, you just don't want to see the possibilities. I'm not saying these things are, are happening, but it's amazing that we're not allowed to discuss certain possibilities. Doesn't that show you something? Using microelectrodes, they then show that applying a magnetic field to the brain slices activated magneto so that the cells produce nervous impulses. This gets far crazier. To determine whether magneto can be used to manipulate neuronal activity in live animals, they then injected magneto into a zebrafish larvae targeting neurons in the trunk and the tail that normally control an escape response. That's scary. They then placed the zebrafish larvae into a specially built magnetized aquarium and found that exposure to a magnetic field induced coiling coiling maneuvers similar to those that occurred during escape responses. So they literally, using an implanted virus, insert a, a... a ferritin or uh, the uh, the ferritin or specifically TRPV1 protein inserted virus and inserted that virus into the brain of the zebrafish, then inside of a magnetized area was able to induce physical responses from that fish or the larva. Now, we're living under a, they're literally rolling out, it's not necessarily magnetism, but the 5G infrastructure, maybe that's part of it. Or the fact that maybe these things did create magnetism. The bottom line is, there's a lot of possibilities to where this could already be being used or applied, or maybe that's the next step. The idea of how that's possible, though, should be very concerning. It says, they then placed the zebrafish larvae into a specially built magnetism aquarium. Oh, and then they basically created its response. But it goes forward to say, in one final experiment, the researchers injected magneto into the the uh, the stratum of freely behaving mice, a deep brain structure containing dopamine producing neurons that are involved in reward and motivation, and then place the animals into an apparatus split into magnetized and non-magnetized sections. Mice expressing magneto spent far more time in the magnetized areas than the mice that did not. So driving action. Because activation of the protein caused the the striatal neurons expressing it to release dopamine. So you felt better when you were over there. So that the mice found being in those areas rewarding. 
Just the carrot and the stick game here. This shows that Magneto can remotely control the firing of neurons deep within the brain, remotely control, and also control complex behaviors. Previous attempts, they say, using magnets to control neuronal activity needed multiple components for the system to work. Injecting magnetic particles, injecting a virus that expresses a heat-sensitive channel, that's where we're going with this. The problem with having a multi-component system is that there's so much room for each individual piece to break down. Maybe that's what we're watching happen. I don't know. Quote, this system, though, the newest thing, is a single, elegant virus that can be injected anywhere in the brain, which makes it technically easier and less likely for moving bells and whistles to break down. Magnogenetics is therefore an important addition to neuroscientists' toolbox, which will undoubtedly be developed further. And then it went completely silent. We haven't heard about it again. That's pretty concerning. What is it? Where is it being used? Well, here's a follow-up from 2017. Ready your tinfoil hats. Mind control is not a far-fetched idea as it seems. This is from the Rockefeller University. That's fun. In Jeffrey M. Friedman's laboratory, it happens all the time, though the subjects are mice, not people. So it clearly went forward to this year. And then here's where it stalled and I haven't talked about since, as far as I can tell, other than scientific research. So the point is they're clearly controlling these mice. Friedman and his colleagues have demonstrated a radio-operated remote control my God, for the appetite and glucose metabolism of mice. So driving you to feel hungry or not. Now it says a sophisticated technique to wirelessly alter neurons in the animal's brains at the flick of a switch, and they're able to make mice hungry or suppress their appetite while the mice go about their lives normally. So I mean, you could see how this could very easily be weaponized or probably already is to use this against people if, it, if there's you know a new version of this that doesn't have to be like, look, if, the, if it's a virus in the brain, why can't it be something that is released and caught and then applied this way? Maybe that's what's happening. Friedman has been working on the technique for several years. An idea approach, ideal approach, they reasoned, would be as non-invasive and non-damaging as possible. Yeah, exactly. And it should work quietly, quickly, and repeatedly. How does this not sound like what we're talking about? Although there are other ways to deliver signals to neurons, each has its limitations. Right. The same as the other article, deep brain stimulation. That's I think that's the Elon Musk brain machine interface discussion. Then there's optogenetics using lights and, and other things on you know less invasive. But the third strategy, which is what we're talking about, uses drugs to activate genetically modified cells brain in, bred into the mice. Or how about this? What if this was done before and the injection was the triggering mechanism? I mean, these are just possibilities, guys. The solution that Friedman's group hit upon referred to as radiogenetics or magnogenetics avoids these problems. Biologists can turn neurons on or off in a live animal at will, quickly, repeatedly, and without implants by engineering the cells to make them receptive to radio waves or a magnetic field. So the radio waves part of it does not need to be in some boxed-in magnetic field. You know how radio waves work. This is not, this is old technology. Can you imagine what's being used today? I mean, this was old in 2017. This is just the way it was being applied in the research. Now, when it gets used in a military sense, think about that which is usually how this goes. Quote, we've combined molecules already used in cells for other purposes in a manner that allows that an invisible force to take control of an instinct as primal as hunger. Right? Or, you know, rage or, or any number of other things driving people to commit violent acts, you know, like an MK Ultra kind of program. It's not just hunger. It is simply an invisible force taking control of your actions. The method links five very different biological tools, which can look whimsically con convoluted, like a Rube Gold Goldberg contraption. You know, like those funny things that flip over and tap this and turn that. And it says on a molecular scale. So basically it looks like a Rube Goldberg contraption in your body. It relies on a green fluorescent protein borrowed from a jellyfish, a peculiar antibody derived from camels, squishy bags of iron particles, and the cellular equivalent of a door made from a membrane piercing protein. Sure sounds like that's going to work well. All delivered and installed by a genetically engineered virus. What could go wrong? The remote control for this contraption is a modified welding tool, though a store-bought magnet also works. <laughs> Great. So you have engineered viruses, but we're using a welding tool to make, I mean, this is the rudimentary, or at least probably the way it's being presented as such, perception. Think about where it is now. The researcher's first challenge was to find something in, in a neuron that could serve as an antenna to detect the incoming radio signal. The, lo the logical choice was ferritin, a protein that stores iron cells in balloon-like particles just a dozen nanometers wide. Iron is essential to cells, but can also be toxic, so it is sequestered in ferritin particles until it's needed. Each ferritin particle carries with, within it 
thousands of grains of iron that wiggle around in response to a radio signal, signal excuse me, and shift and align when immersed in a magnetic field. We all have these particles shimming around inside our brains, but the motions normally have no effect on neurons. Side thought, what happens if this manipulation releases the iron and is deadly to you? <laughs> I'm not a scientist, but that seems like something that's possible. Friedman team re realized that they could use a genetic engineered virus to create doorways into a neuron's outer membrane. If they could then somehow attach each door to a ferritin particle, they reasoned, they might be able to wiggle the ferret enough to jostle a door open. Quote, the door we chose is called TRPV1. Once TRPV1 is activated, calcium and sodium ions would next flow into the cell and trigger a neuron to fire. The bits bar from camels and jellyfish provided what the scientists needed to connect the door to the ferritin. It's playing God is what it looks like. Once the team had the new control mechanism working, they put it to the test. For Friedman and Stanley, the, whose goal is to unravel the biological causes of overeating and obesity, that's at least the surface level argument, the first application was obvious. Try to identify specific neurons involved in appetite. The group modified glucose-sensing neurons, cells that are believed to monitor blood sugar levels in the brain and keep them within normal range, to put them under wireless control. To accomplish this, they inserted the TRPV1 and ferritin genes into a virus and, using yet another genetic trick, injected them into a, the glucose-sensing neurons. They could then fiddle with these cells to see whether they are involved as suspected. In coordinating feeding and the release of hormones such as insulin that keep blood glucose levels in check. So what happens if you apply something that rapidly stops the body from producing the insulin that needs it to that it needs to survive? Well, people die. So even on their benign surface level air argument, this is a weapon. Like if applied the right way, if you cause soldiers, let's say, to suddenly drop their insulin levels, what do you think is going to happen? Once the virus had enough time to infect and transform the target neurons, because that's still happening in your body, the researchers switched on a radio transmitter a little below the band used for AM radio. The neurons responded. They began to fire, signaling a shortage of glucose, even though the animal's blood sugar levels were normal. Or I guess in this case, we're talking about the, the perception it's happening. But realize this can, in fact, produce actions in your body. But it's saying, and other parts of the body responded just as they would to a real drop in blood sugar. Oh, I take it back. So insulin levels actually fell. The liver started pumping out more glucose and the animals started eating more. But think about how dangerous that can be. That can literally be a weapon. It is a weapon if used in the right hands. In effect, we created a perceptual illusion that the animal had low glucose, even though the levels were normal. Inspired by these results, the researchers wondered if magnetism, like radio waves, might trigger ferritin to open the cellular doors. And guess what? It did. When the team put the mice in cages close to the MRI machine or waved a rare earth magnet or over the animals, their glucose-sensing neurons were triggered. So basically, you prime them to trigger to produce insulin, whether or not they needed it, or in reverse, to drop insulin levels, and all you needed was the trigger. A radio signal, let's say. Simulating app is that what people is that what we're primed for now? Something in that regard? stimulating appetite and we've seen those people spinning around and i've never been able to prove that that's real really what's happening but you know these are valid questions to ask could they also suppress it right the the group tweaked the the gene so it could pass chloride which acts to inhibit neurons now when they inserted the modified gene into the neurons the rush of chloride made the neurons behave as if the blood was overloaded with glucose insulin production surged in the animals and they ate less friedman and stanley Hope that biologists will be able to use the remote control system to tackle a range of neuron neural processes other than appetite. The method could potentially lead to novel therapies for brain disorders. Of course it will. It'll solve Parkinson's. It'll make people use new limbs, just like the, the arguments you hear from Elon. It's always how it gets framed. It'll stop cancer. You know, whatever other arguments, except that's far, far, far more. It has far more uses than that. And they know that, I mean, on the surface, but of course, this is how they get funding for this stuff. Now it says, for example, one could imagine using it to treat Parkinson's. Hey, there you go. Conditions that are sometimes treated by deep brain stimulation. That's the, that's the inner, the machine brain interface discussion. But it's saying potentially it would be less invasive to inject the crippled virus into the same spot of the brain and let it permanently modify the cells there, making them responsive to wireless control. You know, just to solve a little problem, but then, you know, leave yourself vulnerable to outside manipulation for the rest of your life. You know, it's worth it though, right? 
In theory, it might also be possible to make a patient's own cells receptive to electromagnetic waves by removing them from the body, delivering TRPV1 and ferritin, and then putting the cells back in. We are a long way from using it in humans, they say, in 2017 for medical treatments. Much would need to be done before it could be tested, could be used, or even be tested. <laughs> well, maybe they got that done, and maybe that's what's happening. Here's a study you can read more on the bidirectional electromagnetic control of the hypothalamus regulating feeding and metabolism. That's the same point. This is where we are, guys, and I think this is a very real thing. Now, whether that's happening or not, it's certainly possible. And nobody should be okay with these entities pushing this kind of science. It scares me. On top of that, to finish off, Sophia Dahl points out that, in fact, there has been a new strain, they claim anyway, saying, a new death from Arcturus. Even though you search for it, you don't really get that much response for it. But sure enough, in India, remember when that weird baffling brain disease took place right near where they were testing the injection before it came out and they all dismissed that? Yeah, don't we see it now? This new variant, XBB116, but they're still giving people a bivalent shot that gives them BA4 and 5 and the ancestral strain. Because that makes sense, right? A new subvariant of Omicron spreading in India. It's they will push this a thousand different ways to get you to do what they think you need to do, or at least that's what they're claiming. Maybe it's far more nefarious than that. All I want for people out there is to ask questions, ask what's going on, push into the things they, especially the things they tell you you're not supposed to ask. Doesn't mean that that means that it's true though, does it? In fact, that is a you know kind of a secondary way that works now to maybe push you into something or deny something that they want you to look at because they know that that's what we're looking at now, right? But just to question everything. Don't lean into narratives and suggestion. Look for facts and evidence. And if we don't have it, it's okay leaving it with that we don't know. I think there's a lot more of this going on than we realize. And I will follow up as always with plenty more coming your way. So I'll see you in about an hour and a half in regard to the new Pirate Stream episode. Plenty more coming your way, guys. Thank you for being here. And I hope you enjoy the quick... <laughs> quick show for the last american vagabond i love you all as always question everything come to your own conclusions stay vigilant